Hello and welcome to Braves on the Warpath. My name is Kyle and we've got a special Braves on the Warpath edition for you. Uh, with all the injuries that have been plaguing the Redskins, that's been the big topic lately. Uh, and so I thought I would go out and talk to my good buddy, Dr. Stuart Wright, uh, former D1 athlete in the medical profession, uh, to help break down some of the injuries because I don't know what the hell a tibia is, a fibula. I don't know what's going on with pinched nerves and Dunbar. Without any ado, uh, Dr. Stuart Wright, how are you, man? Hey, Kyle. I'm doing well. Glad to, uh, glad to be on board. Uh, it's been a while since uh, you know I've seen Kyle. We were actually roommates, and uh, it was it was good to kind of get get reacquainted with him through our podcast here. I figured that I maybe could give a little bit of a clinical insight as to what's going on with some of these players, and you know maybe some preventative mechanisms that we can maybe think about from a coaching standpoint as well as a player standpoint so that we can kind of understand why the prevalence of some of these ACLs has increased so so much in the, in the past decade or whatnot. But again, I'm just glad to be here, glad to, you know, the, glad to have Kyle to bring me on board and talk about some things that I really love. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. We we were roommates for a year. That was, uh, that was one of the worst years of my life, man. I, I, I was glad <laughs> to get out of that one. <laughs> no, oh kidding, man, we man. had a blast. It was fun. It was a great time. So, well, you you talked about ACL injuries. The Redskins, in particular, have had a ton of those. Uh, one of our most exciting players, our exciting draft picks this year, Darius Geis, went down in the preseason. We didn't even get to see him. Uh, Sean Laval went down with an ACL. Garon Christian had an MCL. Um, but this is really something that that's all over the NFL. If you watch football in any capacity. You know what an ACL is. Those are the, the three letters every fan does not want to see show up anywhere near their team. Uh, what, what's going on with it? Why, why is this so much more common now than it used to be? So it's, uh, it's a lot of variables that I believe are, are in play here. I mean, from things changing such as rules, uh, things changing such as the, the turf, um, and also things changing in regards to um, how players are now tackling. Uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of things <clears throat> that are or should be considered into how to prevent these as well. But the major components that I believe um, should be discussed here are preventative mechanisms and why they're occurring. But before we do that, you know, I'd like to kind of discuss exactly what the ACL's objective is in the knee joint. So the ACL is actually a, uh, a collagen-taught band, and the band actually holds the tibia, which is the major weight-bearing bone in the lower leg. Now, it holds the tibia to the femur, which is the bone above. Now, what it does is it, it doesn't allow for translation of those two, two bones away from each other mainly in the forward direction. So you're not going to have the bottom bone sliding too far forward away from the top bone, which is the femur. Um, another thing that it won't allow to do is to twist and rotate. Now, when we think about that, we got to understand that this, this, this ligament can withstand 500 pounds of pressure. And for those who are stronger, even more. So it's a very, very, very strong ligament. So we ask ourselves, why is that the one that's so often injured or harmed? Um, and, and a few reasons behind that is 
I think <clears throat> that from me researching a little bit is from the collective bargaining agreement that was established years back. And what its hopes was to do was to bring about less concussions in the preseason and throughout the season. So what this means was the collective bargain agreement had the players have time off, no obligatory team activities, no organized team activities. So this allowed the players to basically do what they feel free to do and not be with the team or in team activities that were physical. Now what this does was, yes, it did uh, save some concussions. But at the same time, what it did not allow for was the what we call neuromuscular training that is required in any athletic event. Now, with that being said, if we're not ch constantly challenging the neurology and challenging the muscles to do exactly what we demand, they will fail us. And a lot of times we see that now and day more so than we did in the past. Um, Hold on, another thing. I don't know that I, I follow. Wait, so when is it you're saying that like guys are doing their own workouts on the side and those workouts aren't maybe up to the same standards that they'd be required to do with an NFL team? Is that what you meant by that? Well, the CBA, CBA the collective bargain agreement, mandates a significant decrease in the length of off-season training. Mm -hmm. So you you can't be on the field or you can't be training with the team during that um, duration. So what that does, it doesn't allow for that neuromuscular training to still be done. Now, yes, there are players that will do their due diligence at home when they go home from the off-season and still hit the gym four days a week, five days a week. But for those who don't do that and don't have a healthy diet and are not training those neurons and those muscles to do exactly as they demand, they will succumb to injury. They will succumb to failure in that in that area of their body. That's interesting because I think one thing that I hear tossed around a lot and that you know I, I've certainly thought is that, well, it's a ligament. You can't really work that out the same way that you'd work out a muscle or anything like that. And so if the ligament snaps, it's just kind of bad luck. But you're saying that this, this particular type of, of working out and, and constantly uh, training it uh, does actually increase the strength of the ligament? Absolutely. So what we call that is neuroplasticity. So neuroplasticity is basically, um, it's retraining and it's reprogramming from the brain connection to that particular body part. And that's the term that we use and we call neuroplasticity. It's great to have that because for the injured patients that I currently see and for the injured uh, football players, they're able to reprogram the neurology and strengthen so it can engage more muscles around that joint recruit them, and make the joint strong. Now, will it be 100%? Maybe, maybe not. That's going to be dependent upon the um, the preliminary body that was harmed. That's going to be dependent upon the, the type of training that is instilled in that player. That's going to be the, the type of... Um, that's basically going to determine the outcome. But at the same time, we notice that when you do this often... You're constantly training the brain-body connection. And when we do that, we're able to kind of handle these contorted positions or these traumas or these hits or these falls. But if we aren't constantly training that neuromuscularly, 
then we're probably going to be set up for failure, especially in the football paradigm. Some good exercises that could be applied are like plyometric exercises, dynamic balance training, muscle strengthening, stretching to increase body control, uh, working on jumping and landing softly, um, slight valgus and various stretches, um, and, and, and strengthening exercises. Um, all those were, were effective in taking a, a player and making them stronger in those particular joints. That's interesting. So I noticed you didn't mention any sort of power lifting. You didn't mention squats. You didn't mention weighted lunges or leg press or anything like that. A lot of that stuff just seemed like kind of stability, coordination, maybe even some flexibility type stuff. Nothing that's, that's too overly grueling from a, from a weight or explosion perspective. For sure, for sure, Kyle. And what you want to do is you want to work on that explosion afterwards. So if we gotcha. work on the neuromuscular training first, we can instill the neurology to work and engage as it should. But then what you want to do is strengthen what you have started the body to reprogram. So then at the latter end of the rehabilitation stage, yeah, we're going to hit those, uh, you know, jump squats, those uh, anything that's going to be explosive, the trainings. Uh, the, the, the power cleans, all of those will be implemented, but just at a later stage. That's now, something, some, something very interesting here, too, is that the um, NBA had it actually a lockout, too. And when it had the lockout, not allowing for the players to kind of work out with each other again, wouldn't you know it that the Achilles injuries increased after that lockout? So it's really? very similar... Yeah, it's very similar to the NFL in that if you take away that neuromuscular training, you're probably going to set yourself up for some uh, injuries in the future. That's interesting. And just to be clear, this neuromuscular, that's that's different than coordination, right? Is it, Are we talking about muscle memory? I mean, am I in the neighborhood uh, here or am I missing the point? Yes, yes. So muscle memory is definitely related to this. That's why if someone is continuing to do... Uh, the same exercises all the time, they're going to train their body to be preparing for that. That's why it's good if anyone to go to the gym and uh, take this for what it is. Um, it, always consult with your medical provider, your healthcare provider, whom that is in whatever state you are. That could be a different professional with, with everything that I'm saying here. Don't take it from me, but take it from your healthcare professional. And, and saying that, that you, you really want to train the body to be what I want to say multifocal so we can do multiple things and the way you do that is not by doing the same workout every day it's by actually tricking the body as some people have learned and what that'll do is have for a multi multifunctional body that really can accept the demands placed on it that's interesting. And so in your opinion, I mean, I know you saw the, we texted about it a little bit. You saw the Alex Smith injury. You saw the Colt McCoy injury. Uh, those weren't ACL injuries. Those were, I think it ended up being a broken tibia and fibula for Alex Smith and a broken fibula for Colt McCoy. Um, are those same, do the same kind of principles apply there? Or is this something totally different? Could those have been avoided? Uh, those are going to actually be a tad bit different. Reason being, you have a Alex Smith with a compound fracture. He fractured one of the biggest bones in the lower leg, or in the leg. And he also fractured the one right beside it. And we call that a tib-fib compound fracture. That is going to take probably some screws, plates, and it's going to take uh, a pretty good time, eight months to a year. Um, but now, Colt, 
Colt McCoy, on the other hand, he only broke the fibula. So I imagine his recovery, based on exactly where the break was, is going to be a little bit shorter. Now, it's still going to be pretty intense, especially if it was towards the uh, ankle. If the break was towards the ankle, it could have some ligamentous involvement there too, and that's a whole other story as well. But yes, they are still going to be able to apply or should be applying neuromuscular training after the break, but down the road. Now, a fibula break, you can't even stand on your foot until six weeks is over and some of that rehab and swelling is gone. Or not rehab, but some of that resting and uh, swelling is gone. So it's going to definitely be a long process for the both of them. But I do think the Colt is going to kind of come back before maybe a couple months, three months, four months, or something like that. But it's still going to be a lengthy trip for both of them. What's interesting is the Redskins actually have not put Colt McCoy on injured reserve yet because they're somewhat hopeful he'll be able to return this season. You have to think it's they probably mean playoffs by that. But even if, you know, you fact, let's say we sneak into the playoffs and it's the divisional round or the conference championship or, or something like that. That's still in the, within the next two months or so. I, is that possible at all in your eyes, or are we just dreaming? Um, Obviously, you haven't with, seen what, the injury. You know, you're not, you're not his doctor, so you don't have inform- access to all the information that they have. But just a, a normal, let's even say an athlete with, with good, uh, you know, a good prognosis on a broken fibula, is that something you'd expect to see? Uh, I'm going to be honest. I don't want to give you a definitive answer here. I mean, sure. it's a possibility, but the the surgery and the rehab have to be, I mean, almost perfect. I mean, we, we talk about knees, and you know Adrian Peterson. When the surgeon went in on Adrian Peterson's knee, he said it looked like a baby's knee. Right. Nothing was Nothing was damaged in that knee. But, you know, now we talk about Colt McCoy. We don't know what the insides look like. So it's going to depend on the severity of the break and exactly how strong his body was beforehand and how he's going to tolerate the uh, rehabilitation. So I don't want to give a definitive answer, but I'm going to say probably not. And what about uh, Alex Smith? It just came out of, I think, in the last 24 hours that uh, there had been some radio silence. People were wondering what was going on with him, and it turns out it's because he possibly has an infection in his leg. Uh, how much does that complicate matters? I mean, obviously that's not good, but is this, does this make turn this from being you know a year recovery, year and a half to possibly career ending? Um, potentially, but I think the the staff there is going to be able to handle the infection relatively quickly and able to monitor him and supervise him through the process. So I don't think it's going to knock him back too much, but it is definitely going to set the bar back a tad bit. Yeah, that's that's one thing all Redskins fans are walk are watching. And when that news came out, I know a lot of people were really holding their breath. So that's that's somewhat good news. We'll we'll wait and see on that. Um, I wanted to move on and talk about Quentin Dunbar, but I wanted to make sure we're not glossing over anything on the Alex Smith and Colt McCoy injuries. Were there anything else there you wanted to cover? Uh, nothing there. I do want to uh, kind of state some other reasons why maybe the ACLs are kind of going um, haywire nowadays. Oh, go um, another for it, man. Re- Another reason may be that the turfs are a little bit softer, and with the new turfs against the new the ground, the turfs actually have an absorptive feel to them. And what that means when compression of the foot hits that absorptive ground and they go to turn, they're doing the exact motion 
the rotative component that is not uh, conducive for the ACL. So that's another reason of why maybe we have a higher prevalence of ACL injuries now. And like I was saying before, also was just the the lower tackling nowadays is is a, is, is actually sometimes taught. So that's another reason why that ACLs might be a little bit higher injury wise now. Yeah, if you're a defender, I mean, now you've seen this season more than any other how players get penalized for you know coming anywhere near the head. If if from a you know a, a purely football perspective the right play is to go low. I, I remember, you know, back when, even when I was growing up and, you know, in the nineties that if you were to go at a guy's knees, that used to be considered a cheap shot. And now it's uh, like you said, a, a lot of people are being taught that as the right way to tackle. Yeah. It's the new norm, you know, and it, it's kind of going to save the defender and hurt the offensive player more than anything. And, you know, as a defender, you, I understand, but at the same time, it's going to compromise other patient. I mean, the other person uh, by, by a large amount. It's a violent game, and it's you know you, these guys are flying around. They're going to do damage somewhere. Some people would argue it's better for the ACL than you know the head and uh, to protect from CTE. I don't know. I think the jury's really out on that. It uh, um, really a, a perfect tackle, you know, right around the waist cannot be made every time in this game. And uh, it no seems way. like knees seem to be the the detractor in this this sort of movement on on how to tackle. I think so too. I really do. I think so too. Uh, and real quick, you said you you see some football players, some some athletes, guys like that. Is that correct? Yeah. So actually, we see a lot of um, uh, retired NFL players, m- most of which are still uh, extremely big guys. You know, they're huge guys, but they 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 live by it. I was even talked to someone who uh, was a Maryland Terp, and I think he might have played for the Colts. I can't give his name due to HIPAA HIPAA law, but he he's um, he said, "If we were, it was mandatory for them to go get their spine checked and adjustments for them two times a week, or whatever the uh, doctor, so called, gave them their care plan for." I thought that was pretty cool. And to this day, he's now forty-two or forty-three, and still getting his regular chiropractic care, and still believes in it, and feels that it's just one of the best parts of his life. So it's a really good story for him. And that's awesome seeing these guys and seeing what the body can do. I have have the most have the, most of these guys bodies held up uh over the years uh as you know they tend to deteriorate and degenerate based on the constant in and out trauma every day but some of them have problems regarding um old chronic issues that they're still trying to address and using natural care for which i appreciate um so yeah yeah they do have ongoing problems but they they tend to give credit to, you know, staying healthy, staying fit, exercising regularly still, getting chiropractic care and nutritionally taking care of themselves as well. I mean, that's good advice for everybody. Um, All right, anything else before we move on to Quentin Dunbar? Oh, no, let's get to it. So he has a pinched nerve in his shin, right? I mean, he was out for a few weeks, and it was kind of a weird one where it always seemed like he was – just about to return. Jay Gruden was always pretty optimistic about him coming back, and he actually came back and played in a game against Dallas and uh, had a really poor showing. He could run in a straight line, but it seemed like any time he had to cut or keep up with the receiver that was cutting, he just moved really slow. He didn't have any sort of the agility that you're used to seeing from him. 
Um, what was that about? Cause a, a pinched nerve is, is kind of one of those, it seems to be one of those little black hole medical diagnoses where you don't really know what's wrong or how to fix it. Why is that? What's going on with this injury? So the thing is with the pinched nerve and the, the, that's what the coach is saying. And I don't know why there isn't a specific diagnosis here that's being gone out. I think it's mainly due to, you know, um, opponents not hearing what what's going on as far as how long it'll take for him to come back. Is he going to play today and things like that. Um, I, I think the injury, and there's, it's, it's, it's called a differential diagnosis. So, you kind of you kind of eliminate as you go as far as the diagnosis sees. Me first, I researched uh, Quinn Dunbar and noticed that prior to week nine, he was having hamstring problems. That's a very big sign there. The problem there is the hamstring was first, and then the calf. So with that being said, what innervates or what gives power to the hamstrings? is the sciatic nerve. What is a component of the sciatic nerve in a, in a terminal aspect is the, is the tibia, so and which is a gastroc uh, innervated muscle. So what I think could be happening here, and it could be a long shot, but I haven't seen Quinn Dunbar, haven't done any exam. Um, I, I would guess to say that it could have some lumbar or pelvis issues compromising some of those nerves above and it extending down to the hamstrings and the calf muscles. Though I know that he did get hit in the calf one time or get hit in the shin one time or something of that nature, it, it still could be a, an issue of the lumbar spine and pelvis. But that's a, that's a part of the differential diagnosis that you have to eliminate as you travel through the paradigm with him, you know. Yeah, absolutely. You have to be there and actually diagnose them yourself. That's interesting, though. You think it could be a spinal issue, something almost in the you know the the torso that's affecting his his shin and his legs. Yes, absolutely. So what happens is a patient will come in and they'll have uh, burning feelings or numbing numbness sensation in the uh, calf uh, and the back of the thigh, call it posterior thigh. We, the patient will not understand that the problem is coming from above that area due to the fact that it's compromised there and not able to shoot that power down to innervate the muscles as they should. Therefore, when you go to engage in the muscle or to recruit that muscle for activation, it doesn't quite work as well. So when Quinn Dunbar was not able to accelerate like he was doing, it could be to a compromise in the lumbar spine, not allowing for nerve forces or nerve energy to innervate the muscles as they should so he can take off run and keep accelerating and keep that speed that he wants. So I would, I, I would kind of like to look at the spine a little bit and see exactly how that's functioning and see if he would respond to maybe some lumbar care. If not, then we have to move on to the lower extremity and do some work there and see if we could kind of unimpinge, if you will, the nerves and the tibial region. Now, if it if it was what your hunch is here uh, and related to the, the spine and the pelvis and all that, uh, what would that mean for his recovery time? Would that would he be back on the field in a little bit if he was treated properly, or is this this could this be a long term lingering injury? Uh, if it was a spinal issue, I would say it could be um, treated very quickly 
and very thoroughly and, and naturally without any drugs or surgery uh, compromising any parts of his human body. So I think that that is definitely needs to be considered when analyzing him, although it, it still can be a, a, a nerve thing in the shin. But like I was saying before, it would be a quick recovery. It could take anywhere from 36 days to 12 days. You know, and that's going three times a week, getting the, getting the body part adjusted in line. And when it's in line, the structure is ideal. It can dictate the normal function. But if the structure is not in, in its ideal state, it's not going to function as it should. Just as a chair. If you have a chair with four legs, you kick off one of the legs, the chair can't function. Same way with a house. House with an uneven foundation, you can't even put water in it. No need for people either. The body's the same way. So if we have a, mis a, uh, a misalignment or a structural problem, then we probably need to address that first to dictate the better function and then strengthen the muscles around that so we can hold that structure to where we tried to move it to. It's, if it comes out that that's what was wrong with them, I'm going to be, one, pretty happy that I had you on my podcast to diagnose it ahead of time before the Redskins figured it out. And also a little upset <laughs> if he could have been back on the field in 12 days to 30 days and instead he missed three quarters of the damn season. I know, I know, I know. And, and, and like I said, it might not be that easy. It might not be that simple. It may be a little bit more complex. But that's probably where I would start as the central nervous system innervates every muscle, cell, and tissue in the body. So why not start there, right? Absolutely. Man, we've gotten, I think we've put 17 guys on IR this year. The Redskins need to bring you on as a consultant or something. <laughs> oh, Kyle, I would love it, man. I would love it. Do you have any uh, ambitions or desire to work in, you know, for a, a pro athletic team or anything like that? Uh, you know, I was actually in school with a buddy who was going up to uh, the Panthers to work with them. Uh, I don't think it worked out for him, though. But I have a few buddies who did the sports thing. I love sports. I've always have. Um, but I think that I want to treat everybody. I want to treat families to children. I want to help people get into college. Um, athletically wise, I want to help the elderly as well, middle aged, all sorts of populations. Because I think that once we understand the true basics of one an ideal spine, and then what you put in your body, you get out of your body. I think a lot of things can really happen for the positive, and that's that's part of my reason for even being on this podcast is want to inform and educate that you know this this. Uh, this, this medical merry-go-round that some of our patients are on is due to the fact that, you know, they'll go see four or five different providers, come back with five different diagnoses, and they're confused. But no one has really looked at the central nervous system, so I, I would beg for everyone to do that, even the smallest child to the biggest child. I would like everyone to, 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 to kind of take, take that into consideration and use the most conservative method first, but... I would say no, I'm not going to definitely um, limit my population to the sports field, but I love seeing athletes. I love seeing all populations, so we keep it moving. You need to, to carve out that minute and a half, keep that recording, and put that in a commercial, man. That was that was beautiful. I thought you were running for president there for a second. <laughs> uh, thanks, Kyle. I appreciate it, man. I, I, just, I, I enjoy talking about it. I think it's one of my true passions, and I, I hope to – influence and educate as many people about conservative health care as I can. 
Stuart, you were the first person to educate anyone in the history of this podcast because God knows Jeremy and Corey and I aren't doing it. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. That was really insightful. I, I learned a lot. Um, was there anything else you wanted to cover before we get out of here? Um, I think we, we got covered everything that we uh, wanted to discuss. I want to thank you, Kyle, you know, and I hear you guys often. And anytime you need me again, man, I'm just called away. I appreciate that, man. Did you want to do a quick plug for your practice or anything before we leave? Uh, so I actually work in Charlotte now. I'm actually covering multiple clinics. I won't give one uh, the shout out more than the other. But uh, if you want to see me, you're welcome to come see me in Charlotte. Um, I'm not... I'm not sure exactly what my next year looks like. I may actually be moving to New York or back to Virginia. So Come back to Virginia, look- baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. VA all day. <laughs> yeah, so I might I might come back. We we're kind of up in the air about what we want to do, but you know, it, it, it's it's more than likely looking at looking like Virginia. So just look out for me, Dr. Wright. You can find me on Facebook too. That's perfect. And I'll, I'll, if you want, I'll put uh, a link in the, the show notes so people can find you. Um, All right. But thank you very much for joining me again. Uh, thank you for anyone that was listening. Hope you found this as informative as I did. Uh, as always, please subscribe on SoundCloud, leave a review on iTunes, uh, and we'll see you next week. Can I get a hail to the Redskins from you, Stu? Yes, sir. Go Redskins. Woo! <laughs> Thanks, bud. Yeah, man. Don't let your babies grow up. They never stay home and they're always alone Even with someone they love